This is the one with a 999 emergency. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. And a head of people tearing heads off robots. It's called Kablam! Here we Here go. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, great choice for your leisure activity. Today, you are listening to Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. <laughs> That's right. Great contribution, Leon. My name is well, the Kablam Man slash Drew Back When, and I've already revealed my illustrious co-host tonight, the inimitable Leon. Oh, you're too kind. Yes, hello, it is I, Leon. Hello, Drew. Hello, podcast land. Chuffed hello, to be podcast here. podcast land. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> For today, we are reviewing Kablam N151, written by Pete McTighe, directed by Jennifer Perrett, first broadcast 18th of November 2018. That's the facts out of the way. Leon, how about some opinions? I have extreme opinions about this one on either side of my opinion spectrum. I both adore bits of this episode and abhor bits of this episode, and I look forward to digging really deep into either end of that spectrum. Oh, that's super interesting. I... I look forward to following each of those legs <laughs> and discovering what may lie in the middle at the end. Ew. Oh, podcast land, I think he's trying to Darren Brown me into a particular rating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just making a dick joke. Oh, okay, I see. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> How about yourself? Did you enjoy this? I know what you mean. There are bits to enjoy here, and... Lots of other bits. <laughs> right? So, yeah. Loads of other bits. Did you watch, oh, what's it called? The latest Star Trek movie. Going back a few years, Star Trek Beyond. Beyond, that's right. I Star never Trek made Beyond. it as far as Beyond. I can't remember who said this. I feel like I heard this on some podcast, but that it was a really high-budget original Star Trek episode in the sense that they just go somewhere, it's a very straightforward plot, A to B, done, and there's obviously an obstacle, but it's all, it, it's so incredibly banal. <laughs> it's an allegory for something bigger, obviously, but there's it's a very banal thing. So in a sense, Star Trek Beyond succeeded in being a Star Trek film, but actually, if you look at it through any lens, it's very much a shit fiesta and that's a little bit how i feel about this one like it's it so hits the mark with what just episode of the week should be it does it super duper well but then there are so many things about it where i just wonder did they just cut 20 pages of the script why did this happen i have a list by the way i have a list in my notes of just i bet you this is gonna happen just really lazy ones like this i bet you this is gonna happen and they all happened it just felt really lazy you know maybe the working title of the script was episode of the week with an exclamation point and that's all (laughs) that they kept but i mean in many ways success you know It's definitely Doctor Who. Mm. For the people who have been saying that previous episodes in this series were not Doctor Who, this is unmistakable. Exactly. Exactly. But it may also be a shit fiesta. But what is this episode about, Drew? Let's find out via a (laughs) B-Scow. Let's... 
Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Doc gives up trying to do the impossible, outrun capitalism, and surrenders to its all-consuming pursuits, receiving from a congenial rictus grin, dubbed the Kabayama Man, the gift of a fez, some innocuous bubble wrap, and a packing slip cry for help. Whereas Ryan would rather bet on it being a prank, and risk someone's death than go back to work, the others decide to investigate. Thank the Nymon, because it turns out all is not well among the organic tenth of Kablam's workforce. Folks are going missing right under the noses of the garrulous head of people and the odious warehouse executive, the only two suspects out of this flesh count of 10,000. Just what have these monsters incorporated in their measurable conveyor system behind closed doors? Beescow, over. You are welcome. Aren't you just? Kablam! So, where are we starting, dude? (laughs) Well, I hear that you have a list not only of whatever it was you said a minute ago, but of opening questions. I do. Yeah, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven introductory questions prepped for your earballs delight, and hopefully I can then just lean back and let you do the heavy lifting. <laughs> okay, we'll start me off with just one of them. <laughs> okay, because this makes an appearance in the Beast Cow, I'll start you off with this one. Ooh. The package for Doc. Did Doc order it, or did Kablam use its Bezos algorithm and come up with Fez as the likely good gift for Doc? Because it <laughs> seems like a very, like, we know that the computer system Kablam just sent this to Doc. But it seems a bit of a coinkydink, isn't it? That exactly a Fez arrives. Well, I have a counter question. Oh, here we go. Counter, counter. My opening question was going to be, how annoyed do you think the Kablam system was when Jodie Whittaker turned up? Because it's clearly expecting Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Oh, you're so right. (laughs) According to its latest data. And wait, was Matt Smith the one who was forgotten or was that peter capaldi like the doctor got forgotten didn't they and oh yeah oh yeah some point was that mass oh dear oh my goodness wait i know exactly what you're talking about but when was that could that be intentional have we forgot was it so successful we forgot well yeah it's like the silence it's like how many times did they met the silence i don't know who we only know this when we watched that particular episode yeah (laughs) the second the credits roll we're like well where did the time go (laughs) (laughs) guess i'm going back to watching sex education (laughs) yes that is an excellent counter question they weren't disappointed necessarily but they certainly were surprised yeah and it may explain some of the system's later actions when it should know that the doctor is now on its staff and it doesn't need to kill any more people (laughs) if they're not aware that she slash he as was is there that being said she does show up introduce herself as the doctor the kablam man in question looks at her and goes great name Oh, flipping heck. Kablam knows who she is, right? Then I'm like, oh, we sent for the doctor. Oh, what an annoyance. When Matt Smith shows up, he's going to be so annoyed that there's another person with exactly his name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the Kablam man tilts his head to one side and is like, case of identity fraud detected. Idiot system. I, I'm going to give up making, trying to make excuses for the Kablam system. I believe it will ultimately prove fruitless. So do you think that Matt Smith originally ordered a Fez? He already and... had a Fez. As, as, as Homer would say, the, the guy with a Fez is, is the guy with the least need of a Fez. Okay, yeah, wait, that, yeah, wait, that, yes, that's true. 
<laughs> but no, no, according to the stupid algorithm, it will definitely be, you've bought a fez. Would you like another fez? A bigger fez? A smaller fez? A different colored fez? Well, how many fezes did Matt Smith get through? So it's possible that like our algorithm tells us that Matt Smith, aka the doctor, goes through fezes the way other people go through tubs of lube. Like He needs to have a standing order for a fez. Yeah, the number of ducking near misses <laughs> that he has to encounter in any yeah. given week. People who bought this fez also bought knee pads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Have you considered a Dalekanium helmet? <laughs> okay, hit me with another question. All right. Um, still on that very first order that's sent to the doctor. Right. So can you now Amazon things in time? They are in the time vortex. Yes. Mm, yes. Oh, that's annoying. That annoys me <laughs> tremendously. What annoyed me was that the Doctor just let this thing into the TARDIS, that it could gain ingress. Yeah, if it's this easy. I mean, why doesn't everyone just teleport in? Yeah, it's supposed to be incredibly difficult. I think one of the main cliffhangers of a Flux episode was that it could penetrate the TARDIS, right? There or you go. something yes. did. And there it was like, this is unthinkable. This can't happen. But it's already happened with this friggin' holographic delivery bot. Yeah, but this is a fantastic question, dude. Do, do you remember the um, Bad Wolf episode where Eccleston steps out of the TARDIS? He's surrounded by Daleks and they keep lasering and he's entirely safe unscathed because nothing can penetrate the TARDIS shields. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't the Daleks just kablam a bomb to him? It's <laughs> awesome bubble wrap. Awesome bubble wrap. <laughs> yeah, that scene really needed a line where the doc says, uh, but, but there's no way that the companions can precipitate it. So I guess why it wasn't included, but then don't have such a stupid device. Um, where she says something like, yeah, I've added Kablam to my safe senders list or something. Yeah. So that so that she lets it in. That's exactly right. Yeah. They've safe listed the Kablam IP, but that still does not explain why Kablam can travel into the time vortex. No, it does not. It does not at all. That being said, it's I'm sure we've already seen it before because I'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast already, but I love that effect of the TARDIS arriving in this sort of piazza, this the, the crossing of timelines. Yeah. And you just see so many time vortex tunnels all over the place. That's a stunning effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho. Okay, so I'm 0 for 2. What's up next? <laughs> Do you want another one? Yeah. All right. Okay, fine. We're uh, going to keep going until I can give a satisfactory answer to one of these. <laughs> I think you've already done it, dude. But all right, let's go down to the, the moon. What's the moon called again? I think it's just called the moon of Kandoka. All right. Okay. Yeah. That wasn't my question, by the way. All right. So let's go down to the moon of Kandoka. They all get uh, an IQ test and a whatever, like an aptitude test that determines where they go. Yes. Doc has to hack her ankle bracelets in order to swap with... What's his name? George. Graham. Graham, yeah. That's the one. <laughs> I knew it was wrong as I was saying it. Okay. George. Gary. <laughs> All the Gs. <laughs> Jennifer. Gandalf. Okay, so <laughs> did Doc's aptitude test result determine that she was best fit to be a cleaner in the Kablam facility? Yes, and do you know why? No. Because her previous work experience was as a caretaker at Coal Hill School. That pause was cut out, Podcast Land, but imagine it filled with the sound of 
just a standing ovation. In fact, I'm going to put the sound of a standing ovation in there. <laughs> <laughs> Done. All right. Uh, hey. I'm out. Podcast over. <laughs> Thanks One for listening. You've been a great there. audience. <laughs> That was originally a question in my notes as well. Was like, oh. why why didn't it identify that she should be the next CEO exactly. in charge of absolutely every department better than any worker at any work that they could possibly ask her to do? Yeah, or why doesn't it go like, hey, you have two hearts. You're in charge of the stethoscope department. Like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you can test two at once. We'll increase efficiency <laughs> by 200%. <laughs> okay, uh, pong a different question my way. Okay, I'll see if I can find one that you haven't already anticipated. Are you aware of the Hollywood superstition that you shouldn't put any punctuation marks at the end of film titles? No. Okay, so this is something I first became aware of upon the release of George Clooney's, I believe, directorial debut, Good Night and Good Luck, which has mm-hmm. a full stop at the end of the title. It's oh, quite a rare thing. Hollywood would say, don't put exclamation points, although now I'm thinking of Torah, 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 question marks... <laughs> They would say, don't put any of these at the end of a film title because it will make it a bomb. Like, oh. I don't know why. I don't know where this came from. It might just be an urban legend. But it was like, leave it as it is or you're going to lose money. Interesting. Okay. And so Do you think my- that uh, <laughs> the, the curse <laughs> come true in this episode? Yeah. I, <laughs> I think something dark has twisted this episode into a failure. It snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's not really a question so much as, a, as an icebreaker, um, but you stole all my questions. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no, That's I got a question. I got a question. Oh, go for it, go for it, go for it. Did you like the Kablam logo? Oh, I need to Google it. Hang on, give me one second. Oh, I'm just looking at it now. It looks very much like, is it a pizza company or something? Well, it's it's a package, right? It's a box. It's the sort of vaguely cuboid yeah. box that it gives everybody. Logo. I do like the logo, but it's reminding me of some pizza delivery service. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I sort of liked how it had that element of motion, like the Amazon A to Z swoop, but it's got a winky sort of, I'm happy I received this package, which, which is, is myself. Yeah, I think this is really, really good. In fact, just like looking at it, there are multiple different iterations of the same logo and they make perfect sense. Like it makes perfect sense to have so many different versions of it. Hmm. The box itself looks really nice as well. Yeah, so props to the prop designers. Yeah, well done. When Kat and I went to the, um, what was it called? The immersive theater experience. Yeah. Edge of Time? Oh, dagnabbit. No, Edge of Time is the virtual reality thing. Anyway, when we went to that, there was a Kablam man in there. What's there? Yes. And I wonder if it was an original BBC prop. It looked so... I mean, frankly, they all looked incredible in that that production. And unfortunately, they closed early, by the way. It's now too late to go. It's very unfortunate. Oh, shame. Yeah, yeah. Peter Peter Zunich told me. Yeah, anyway, stunning, stunning thing. So I've been up close and personal with one of those dudes. Yeah. They are freaky as balls. Uh-huh. Like, really freaky as balls. Especially since, like, when you look at the Kablamo... Kablamo? Like, I, I always want to say Kablamo. The Kablam guys in this episode, they look very much like just people with helmets on, like masks on and yeah. massive gloves. They don't look super-duper robotic. Like, I would, I would argue they look less robotic than the robots in robot robots of death oh actually robot is also great but robots of death is spectacular right and these dudes look less robotic than the robots of death even though the robots of death are also just dudes wearing robot hats you know or helmets masks they they look like 
anatomically accurate dolls. With the exception of their heads that are too big and their hands that are too big because they're clearly <laughs> masks and gloves. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but everything else is fine. Oddly, they're not wearing clown shoes. They're wearing like regular, they have regular feet <laughs> but abnormally sized hands. <laughs> well, I so mean, depending on which myth you subscribe to, you know, what determines the size of your member, is it your hands or is it your feet? They're straight down the middle. No one knows. Yeah. Those robots are an entirely different department. <laughs> yeah. Where nobody's trying to save on leather. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Go on. My question was rubbish. Let's stick to your questions. I disagree, but okay, fine. Here's, here's another question. Why are people in the future so thick? Oh my goodness. Are you thinking of Kira? Um, yeah. Kira in particular. And I have more questions about Kira. <laughs> But, yeah. well, I have one more question about Kira. But presumably everyone else in the world is dumb because otherwise they wouldn't get away with it. They, they, it's not like only dumb people work at Kablam. The people who work at Kablam are just like people who work anywhere, right? They just happen to work on a moon as opposed to on the planet of whatever it was, Sudoku. But, <laughs> yeah. But everyone here is a total nimrod. Mm-hmm. And the dude, the terrorist guy, who goes undercover as not a terrorist guy. Maintenance Charlie. Yeah, but Charlie pretends to, I mean, he just he's just himself, but he pretends to be himself minus the terrorist aspect. He goes full moron. He is just utterly idiotic. We'll get to that at the proper time, near the Fine. end. W- well, okay, well, why is everyone an imbecile in the future? I think this is a biting satire on where oh. capitalism must take us, how far it must dumb us down in order to survive, in order to make its own algorithms simpler, to remove those those outliers of data where certain people are satisfied with their lives and have no need for additional products. We can't have them. So basically the curriculum is in schools is the history of Kablam. Certainly in the foster care system, which is, seems to be where Kira has graduated from. Do you think? Oh yeah, no, you're right. Because her mum and dad, she never knew them. Yeah. I mean, either that or, or her adoptive parents were... I mean, I was going to say she was raised in a forest, but I think she would pick up more from the forest creatures. She'd have better instincts, certainly. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way that Kablam can persist, is to keep its population that lobotomized. Oh, no! <laughs> no? Why not? No, I, I, I still don't buy it. Like, you want it to be the fault of the individuals. Something they did. Classes they skipped. I'm not sure I buy into this being being satire. Perhaps yeah. it's a mostly, Well, I mean, yeah, I do think it's a stretch, but I think mostly I don't buy into it because we we see such an incredibly small subset of people, and they're not representative of the. Are they humans, by the way? Is this a human colony? Yes, like, they mentioned specifically it's a human colony of Kandoka. Right. Okay. So the, the the subset of people that we meet, like four individuals, not counting all the roles. Robots. Is it four? It's four or five. Five, right? yeah. Five, sorry. I don't know which one I'm forgetting. <laughs> one of them. There's it, Lee Mac. Yep. Dan, what is his name? Is he's, he the executive? No, he's the guy who, who appears on the poster. He plays Dan Cooper, not to be confused with Dan oh, Lewis or Dan Stevens. That's right. <laughs> nice. Okay, so yeah, so we've got Lee Mac, we've got the executive, we've got the head of people, we've got, what's her face? Maisie? Kira. That's the one. And Charlie. Um, and Charlie. Oh, five. Yeah, you're right. I, I I don't know who I wasn't counting before. Anyway, so <laughs> they're not representative of this 
human colony at large because they are all existing under the exact same circumstances, with the exception of terrorist guy, but he purports to exist under the same circumstances until the very end. If we had seen what society looked like on Sudoku, then I'd be like, mm, okay, you know what? I'd probably buy into this because dot, dot, dot. Okay, so the only way I can justify this to you, potentially, is... The head of people clearly has a heart of gold. She bought Maintenance Charlie's sob story, whatever that was, about needing a second chance. And she's full of compassion and she takes pity on the terminally dumb. In the instance of Kira and the heroically ugly in the case of Dan, she even put him on a poster. She was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you believe. Heroically that you have film star looks heroically ugly yeah i mean lee you know he's listening by the way dude lee i apologize for my (laughs) co-host what do you think the chances are that his six-year-old daughter puts this poster on her wall she puts it up and it cracks the mirror on the opposite wall whoa i'm rolling this back up putting it straight in the cupboard i'll get it out when he's on the uh, next economy transport home and put it somewhere safe somewhere I think, dark i think lee mac is a perfectly decent looking chap <laughs> i know but However, the joke is in the episode that he is an un- unlikely candidate yes for yeah that's no you're right time. you're right you're absolutely right i can i ask a question about lee mac because i have a lee mac question mm-hmm. yeah why why not <laughs> This is such a waste of Lee Mack. Oh, oh, it completely... It's such a waste of Lee Mack. You, you know what it is? It's exactly the same kind of waste of acting chops as when we... And comedic chops in particular, as when we had Bill Bailey show up and do like three lines. Oh, I was going to suggest Mitchell and Webb as robots. Doctor Who is littered with examples of this. When was that? Oh, wait, history. was that the dinosaurs on a spaceship? I think so, yes. Yeah, uh, that's also that's also a total waste. Absolutely yeah. right, yes. Yeah. Oh, no. This should not have gone to Lee Mack. This should have gone to some no-name nonsense actor. John who Bishop. Ha- oh, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or John Bishop. No, this should have gone to someone who doesn't have a photo on IMDb. And then in another episode, we should have Lee Mack in a proper part with a proper arc where he gets to be fun. We get gets to be... Well, he basically gets to do his stand-up route he hints at doing that here because he delivers some of the lines in exactly the same way i've seen him deliver lines in stand-up and on would i lie to you yeah he i think he may only have one way of delivering a punchline (laughs) and so perhaps he is the least wasted because i think for him to deliver the lee mac lines over and over again in the lee mac way that would get fairly old and tiresome pretty quickly I think that's the kind of casting in this hypothetical episode that co-stars Lee Mack that would split the audience down the middle because I'm taking the two of us as uh, a perfect representation of those two halves. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of Nardole. Oh. Nardole's delivery on all of his, you know, his sardonic one-liners. You tended not to like them, am I right? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I, have, a, I have a vague recollection that you may not, in fact, not so vague. I have a recollection that you were like, fucking hell, Nardole. Why don't you just go and die? And <laughs> <laughs> I, that may have crossed my mind at certain points. And Marie and I were the ones who were like, holy moly! Yeah, Nardole's great. Yeah. Can't <laughs> yeah. wait for the spin-off series. 
<laughs> it's just called Nodol. <laughs> the, the same font from like two seasons ago. <laughs> yeah. And the, the letters Look at that podcast, <laughs> The letters appear in a semicircle and then his egg-shaped head pops perfectly into the middle. Underneath. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to kick your ass. He's not traveling around space and time. Surprise, surprise. This is not a spin-off show about all the times that he stole the TARDIS to have his own adventure. This is like a spin-off show where he works in a bottle factory. Or he, he's like... <laughs> He's he's the Jimmy character in Superman. Like he works as the assistant in a new at a news desk or something. Oh my goodness! Wait, we've got to do this. <laughs> right, we'll add it to the list. <laughs> Not at all as a barista, but it's on a world with no cinnamon. <laughs> and everyone who comes in says, "Where's the cinnamon?" I'd like to have a cinnamon latte, please. Yeah, can you put, can you put some cinnamon on there, please? <laughs> Uh, RTD, call us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't resurrect Torchwood. This is the way to go. You you know how the internet works. Just get in touch. <laughs> yeah, don't you don't mind if I call you R, right? <laughs> yeah. Don't cryptically name one of your new episodes as showrunner after one of Leon's catchphrases and expect us years after the event to realise you were listening all along. Just send an email. <laughs> Very flattered that you would even entertain that hypothesis. Right. <laughs> This was not Kablam by accident. No way. <laughs> Impossible. Sorry, Chippers. Right. Okay. Where do we go from here? Well, you mentioned Lee Max. So should we dive into some cast notes? Yeah, let's please do that. Okay. So I'm going to start with the head of people. Yeah. AKA... I recognized her from one show. Oh, which show? Broadchurch. Yes, she is Broadchurch a... season two in particular. She is a Broadchurch alumna. Julie Hesmond-Haug. Hi, Julie. <laughs> yep. She was also in an episode of Catastrophe, playing Amanda. Six episodes of Happy Valley, playing oh. Amanda. <laughs> and 1,372 episodes of what? Coronation Street. Jesus. Can I guess the name of the character? Please do. Was it Amanda? It was Hayley Cropper. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but, she played two different characters. <laughs> Sorry, I, I set that up entirely knowingly. And... She played two different characters in the bill. One was called Doctor, and the other was called Joe. No. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Oh, very good stuff. And my problem with her was that she and Doc are basically interchangeable. Oh, that's interesting. Explain that. I mean, people from Lancashire and Yorkshire are now spitting feathers. Oh, just in terms of their accents, you mean? She's from Lancashire. Jodie's from Yorkshire. Yeah. All you need to do is swap the sonic an initiative for an electronic clipboard, and they deliver their lines almost identically. Oh, interesting. A little bit too slow, loads of emphases, and they sort of, maybe this is the writing, but they have the same sort of way of thinking and over-explaining. Yes. Oh, yes, certainly. Thank goodness she's toting a clipboard, otherwise she'd be gesticulating all over the place as well. Yeah, they gave her that to stop that happening. They were like, (laughs) we're putting the wrong makeup on. Wait, here, one of you wear a hat. (laughs) I can't tell you apart. (laughs) Okay, the woman with the fez you go over there someone quick couple out of fez for this woman um <laughs> oh that's interesting yeah i didn't think about that at all i i couldn't get away from just remembering her from broadchurch oh okay memorable is she she's pretty integral to season two okay say no more i shan't in which also, by the think... way take it or leave it oh right yeah, yeah sorry I heard it sorry, wasn't Chibis. really worth following up 
In which do you think she gave the better performance? I don't... Mm, oh, I don't want to be mean. I really don't want to be mean, but I don't. I wasn't convinced by her performance here. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm sorry. Because they gave her lots of ticks and snuck in some backstory and tried to flesh her out a bit. Maybe it's more that I, I wasn't wholly convinced by the character. The ticks, I like that. It's good. Give this actor something in particular to latch on to to flesh out this character. Yeah. But the rest of the characters seemed pretty flat to me. In fact, like, most characters were pretty flat. I mean, that's a pretty damning... Sorry. That's pretty damning of the Doctor by association. Like, the over-enthusiasm, the little self-deprecating verbal asides. She's basically doing 95% of what Jodie's been doing all year. Yeah, I'm still not convinced by Jodie. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. Like I said, this is a spot-on Doctor Who episode, absolutely. And I also have a a lot of positive things to say about Jodie in this one. Uh, Try me. But overall, I'm not super convinced by either of them. But it may also be that I'm in, in a position where whenever I saw her on screen, uh, Julie, I mean, yes. whenever I saw her on screen, I did think back to her character on Broadchurch. Oh, okay. So to move to positive territory, I'm going to try you. Mm-hmm. What positive things do you have to say about this episode? Uh, I was bluffing. All right. So here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like the initiative. I can't pinpoint any particular lines. But there are scenes, or parts of scenes, rather, in which I think she does a spot-on doctor. Right. And it's when she she takes the initiative, she has a brilliant idea, she takes the initiative, and so, for example, when she changes the... I don't know which line it is in particular, but when she changes the color of the ankle bracelets, for example... The group loops. There's a moment where she looks back... I. Th- I think this is it. She looks back at Graham. Graham's like, what the shit am I going to do? I'm just mopping floors now. What what is this? She looks back at him and there's an almost Troughton-esque... Yeah, but whatever. Like, I'm quirky and I'm I'm doing my thing. I'm going to solve this. Don't worry about it. You just, you do you. I'm going to do my thing, okay? Don't worry about it. We're going to come out Trumps, you know? But but she does also give him something to do. She does, yeah. But I mean, she conveys the doctor to me in in those little bits. And that's great. I also enjoyed, by the way, when she tells Graham, hey, no one suspects the the cleaner ever. Like, you you have access to the whole place. Go and do your thing. It's perfect. Yeah. Find me these things, whatever it is. Like, she's pretty doctory there. Yeah, I but found it- a similar counterpart in when she figures out it's the bubble wrap. I mean, the guy sets her up with, they've all got different toys in, and she immediately is like, yeah, but they also have one thing in common. Because I didn't see it coming 2018. I forgot it again before I rewatched it this time that it was the bubble wrap. Yeah. Partly because, really, the bubble wrap. But the doctor... (laughs) <laughs> wasn't so prejudiced against the innocuous looking safety material so good on you she did she delivered it well yeah 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 there are occasions in Whitaker's run when she is supremely doctory and i absolutely adore her on screen but in general i don't like her acting style and i don't find that she does a convincing doctor okay i'm gonna back you up here as well because i'm a good friend thanks can you please soundbite at around 41 minutes 10, mm-hmm. the speech I'm about to give a rendition of, see how close I get, okay. when I over-enunciate every single syllable. <laughs> am I exaggerating or am I bang on? Okay. Sheets of tiny little bombs ready to explode and kill every parcel a death trap sheets of tiny little bombs ready to explode and kill every parcel a death trap 
the workers aren't the targets, it's the customers. <laughs> so OTT. Unforgivable. <laughs> that's largely what I dislike about her. That OTT justifies that comparison that I always make. With? The clown at like, like a kid's birthday party. Like it, it's, oh, she sure. acts for a much younger audience than the rest of the cast. And the problem with that, or a pro- there are multiple problems with it, but a problem with it is that she doesn't change her mode of acting when she's addressing other members of the cast. So all that over-enunciation and all that ridiculous gesticulation, I'm trying to do it here. Yep, yep. All of that clashes with the people that she's talking to. Yes. You know, when she's she's addressing Graham and Ryan and Yaz, who are all adults, but she's talking to them like they are seven-year-olds. And yes. it, it doesn't work for me. I don't like it. Another similar example is when she realizes the twist which is that Charlie is the terrorist about to blow up most of Kandoka. Yeah. And what she does is something that I have seen her do in previous episodes already this series. She will doubtless do it many times hence. She turns sideways, lifts both her hands up and goes, oh, that's what's happening. And she talks to no one. She talks to herself, to thin air. I know exactly what you mean. 20 to 30 seconds. Everybody else has to just stand around and wait for her to finish. That's fine because no one wrote lines for them anyway. You're so right. I know exactly <laughs> what, you're, what you mean. Absolutely spot on. Yeah. No matter the reality of the situation, whether someone has a quivering finger on a trigger or there's a countdown or anything like that everything just has to stop yeah it's infuriating i totally agree i did not see the bubble wrap twist coming by the way when they say like oh and what does every parcel have in common i was like oh of course tape (laughs) (laughs) cardboard in that moment mutant carnivorous cardboard it's got to be (laughs) in that moment i thought oh no she's already opened the parcel the parcel itself is poisonous like the the thing that they have in common is that they come in a box it's the box is poisonous yeah yeah oh no the second you touch it it goes into your skin and these kablam dudes they're robots so it doesn't poison them so obviously yada 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 yeah, yeah. I, I saw one review say that this was a reference to classic Doctor Who in which oh. one of the aliens was partly made out of bubble wrap because oh, the budget right. was I know so exactly low that one. week. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a fan... Oh, that one's so good. What's it called? Is it Ark in Space? It's a Tom Baker episode. Oh, I bet you if you Google Ark in Space, is it Ark in Space? Uh, Doctor Who Ark in Space. You're on? Yes, exactly. If you just Google Doctor Who Ark in Space, you're going to see the exact image that i have in my mind and it's a dude just his arm is covered in green bubble wrap oh this guy yeah i've seen him on whobackwhen.com that is it's an iconic good episode or serial damn it (laughs) it's such a good serial oh my goodness wait hang on i I need to find out what i gave that serial arc in space yeah i give it 4.4 yeah but despite that potential excuse I couldn't help thinking that bubble wrap was an even worse reveal as a threat than the sleep Sandman monsters from Sleep No More. Oh, interestingly, I find that to be on the positive end of the scale. For me, the the fact that this is the bubble wrap, I think that's very clever. I don't understand how he got poisonous bomb gas uh, like explosive gas into the bubbles. How did he do that? 
But I think that's a very clever trick. Well, I assume it's actually very easy because bubble wrap will have some form of gas in it. I assume it just Mm -hmm. incorporates the gas of the environment in which it is sealed. So all he does is he pumps into the bubble wrap machine poisonous bomb gas, which until it gets into the bubbles is apparently inert and workable. Interesting. Yeah. It's only just now dawn on me that Amazon probably makes its own bubble wrap. Yeah. Otherwise, sell bubble wrap to Amazon and you'll make a killing. Maybe literally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have another question for you. Oh, let's hear it. Why is there bubble wrap in this box if it's being teleported somewhere and handed over to a person? Because the contents of all the boxes have had to endure the rough ride through uh, the Monsters, Inc. conveyor belt system already. Ryan even says at some point, don't worry, we're just just parcels now, and someone else replies, yeah, but they've all got bubble wrap to protect them. That's a solid answer, but it raises another question, namely, why is there that conveyor belt system? Why not just teleport stuff immediately? You have the technology, just do that. Yeah, just replace the teammates looking over packaging or whatever with teleport delivery postmen. They go straight from there. They pop back 10 seconds later. You've wrapped your next thing. Off they go again. Yeah, yeah. And I assume there's an equally large conveyor belt system going from, well, I don't know where. No, because they they have pickers in the warehouse part with trolleys. And then they, they just wheel a trolley into where Kira is. I don't want to even talk about this because the tour that Julie, Judy, whatever her name, is gave of the whole operation was so boring it was absolutely realistic lifelike a perfect simulacrum facsimile all these words it was so dull it killed the episode dead (laughs) i mean maybe you had the good idea of switching off or making a cup of tea while that was going on but it was such a time waste and she kept on dropping extra details about oh and then a delivers to b and you'll never guess what comes after b c i know self-optimization it came up with it almost immediately we were so impressed on kandoka do you know we've all got rqs of less than 20 (laughs) (laughs) imagine life on kandoka oh my goodness Imagine those dudes. Oof, maloof. This is a society, by the way, where 90% of everything is conducted by robots. Yeah. We should be super advanced as a species. Like, super crazy advanced. Oh, I don't know. Have you seen Wally? I've not, but I, that did spring to mind. Oh, you but must. It's very good. I, I do feel like we would be way more advanced. A, because we've developed these robots. But B, because we've got robots pushing us even further into the future. You know, it developing, uh, helping us develop ourselves even more than we can do on our own. Oh, and I they're don't doing know. 90, they're doing 90, they're heavy, lifting 90% of the heavy weights man like they're amazing they're awesome these robots now what happened is society splits the haves get complacent because all the profits accrue to them and the have-nots who have clearly been denied an adequate education there's just no way for them to compete with the turns into idiocracy yeah so that all they can do is live as a despairing underclass begging for scraps from the robotic table those little 10 percents they can pick up but, 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 there is a line you mentioned, the 10%. They go, yeah. they specifically say when they are waffling on about the quotas and the labor laws and the jargon and the boring that 
it must be at all levels. So 10% of the higher-ups should be human. And we only get two. We get the head of people and the obvious suspect. Yeah, I also consider this. that They say, I think the line is, 10% of everyone at every level yes. needs to be human. Yes. So presumably, there are another <laughs> nine robotic heads of people. Like the, I mean, there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people on the... No, you know, wait, yeah, exactly. There are 100,000 people there and 10,000 of them are humans. 90,000 yes. are robots. Right. So there are another nine robots in charge of the remaining staff. Yeah, why, why, when Judy finds out that the system is down or killing people, does she not immediately contact one of the nine heads of robots and say, what the fuck is your department up to? Yeah, and why do we not see more people <laughs> in general? Oh, that is the... the the fact that because they don't want any spoilers to drop, that, that Doctor Who, I think most episodes of this series, their total cast list has been 15 maximum. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. you see a couple of people milling briefly towards off-camera in the reception area. You see some distant shapes in the bone zone. But we get these massive pan backs a la end of Indiana Jones of the massive warehouse and there's no one there. Well, that is explained because they make an exception to their previous rule of 10% at every level by saying no humans go down to dispatch at all. Okay. For some reason, that part is fully automated. All the postman pats of the Kandokan galaxy are out of work. There's no I mean, that's, 10% given sympathy jobs down there. That's really sad. The, but... <laughs> Oh, still don't buy it, still don't buy it. Mm. When we have the, I mean, we're tangenting all over the place, but when we get the, oh my goodness, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of parcels going through this every day. Here, be one of the three people putting them in boxes and manually yep. wrapping them in cling film. That is so annoying. Oh, <laughs> that's, goodness. that's just not how that would work. What I would have loved would to would have been to see a robot in that little section going at 100 times the pace. Yes. And, and looking over at them and going like, come on, keep <laughs> keep up the pace. <laughs> <laughs> What's her face? Maisie? Oh, what is Kira. her name? Yeah, Kira. She's like, oh, oh no, gotta gotta do it, gotta do it. This this no, no. is why she doesn't have a life outside of the warehouse. No. It's because she has to keep up the pace with a robot. That's not how she would react. She would be like, oh wow, you're so quick. Just watching you makes me need a lunch break. And then okay. the robot would be like, good thing I don't need to eat. Here's another ten muscles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can we talk Kira? We, we must. should talk the companions as well. I mean, the regular companions. But she is a companion of the week. Let's talk Kira. Yep. Yes, I get it. She's orphaned. But it's not like she grew up in the warehouse, right? <laughs> and it's not like she never knew anyone else. Why is she so naive? Does she not have a life outside of this job at all? I mean, like, at a certain point, her shift ends, right? She goes home. They go where to does the, she live? What, they go to the bone do? zone in between shifts. They go to the bone zone? Yeah, or home zone, or whatever it's called. <laughs> she and Charlie want to make it the bone zone. Yeah, they do. But that is another thing. I mean, this either feeds into this question, or it feeds into the prior question of why is everyone so thick in the future? 
they are watching those two flirt awkwardly. It's like when when you flirted with someone in middle school. It's not adult behavior. Yeah. So why? But wait, answer the first 17 questions I asked about (laughs) Maisie. I I don't understand this person. (laughs) Well, she's not a fully formed person at all. It's bizarre. I could buy that she was so disadvantaged that no one ever gave her a present. Perhaps. Perhaps. Although, what's happened to charity and showing kindness to, you know, the the undeserving poor and whatever? Um, Not that there's a deserving poor. That's not what I'm saying. Um, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And that's not a distinction I am pledging allegiance to. Um, but just the way she delivers the lines, I've used lobotomized already once in this episode because I wrote it about her in my notes and it is at the forefront of my mind. She, I don't know, can you talk when you're on morphine? That's what I imagine it's like. That's that's exactly, yes, you're so right. She's constantly on a drip. (laughs) Yeah. She's so sedate. She's so... Everything is in slow motion. Mm. Her emotional reactions, her dialogue delivery, everything is in slow motion. Her intellectual processing of new circumstances. When when the Kablam dudes bring her into the weird cell where she then inevitably, by the way, unexpectedly for me, dies, mm-hmm. her reaction is also way slower than any adults ought to be. What is she just like with a massive smile on her face? Like, oh yeah, so uh, what's what's this? What's what's this? Yeah, make yourself at home. Yeah, what is this a cell? Am I here forever? <laughs> no, like, is this my home? Because that's fine <laughs> for me. I don't have friends. This changes nothing for me. Yeah, I've never known anything better. I actually grew up in an abandoned car park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. Oh weird. yikes! It, it's caramba. almost like they slowed the footage down because they were like, "Oh shit, we promised people extra minutes in return for two fewer episodes of series. We got to bulk this out to fifty. What we'll do is we'll run all of hers at half pace, make it consistent. That'll fill the gap." <laughs> She's in Bridgerton, I saw. I've not seen Bridgerton. She is Eloise Bridgerton. Now, I was astonished by that because I was not maddened by her when... I've only seen the first series because that was the only thing on at that point in the pandemic. I've still not seen it. I hear there's great sex and buttocks that will make me want to join a gym. Possibly, yes. (laughs) You you already keep very trim. I'm sure your buttocks have nothing to worry about. Oh, that's very kind of you. But yeah, she played a serviceable adult with a decent verbal fluency this is a stupid question but consider i haven't seen the show is she the lead no oh okay but she may be the lead in a forthcoming series because i think one of the not gimmicks but one of the devices of that show is that they have a big bridgerton family full of siblings named alphabetically and everyone gets to have their own sort of series oh interesting yeah so she's e but they might run p up i don't know Okay, cool. So yeah, at some point, she may be called on to lead a series. And from what I saw in Bridgerton, she might well be capable of it. But not here. Oh my goodness. Well, wait, 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 wait. I don't want to take anything away from the actor. I think she did a spectacular job. She was very consistent. I think she was convincing in portraying this particular character. But I think this particular character was a wet bag of dog shit. Like, there's... It didn't make sense to me. It. I don't understand why she's like that. She's also nothing like Lee Mack. She's nothing like the the exec. She's nothing like head of people. She's a human. She could be anyone we've ever known. 
Yeah, but her demeanor indicates a very different background, a very different. I understand that like they all have a different upbringing or whatever, but yeah, it it it's indicative to me of a very different world on planet Sudoku than everyone else has experienced. Lee Mack occasionally goes back and forth because he has a he has a family there, or he used to be married. He was a terrible husband. Lots of hints at backstory that we never really get fleshed out. He has a daughter there, yada yada yada. But I mean, there's a means of going back and forth, and he clearly had a life. Presumably, life down on Sudoku is just like life on Earth. You know, yeah. The head of people is a career climber, has gotten to this stage. She's middle management, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I think she just wants to be there. She's reached her perfect position. And I think that she does that out of compassion for going down to Sudoku and finding the people like Kira. And she's like, if I don't give you a job, there is no way you can possibly survive. And this is why she gives her the one single present she has ever received. Yeah. A box of chocks. Uh, I I forgot just how dumb Kira is, but at the beginning, Ryan is like, yeah, uh, I find it difficult with my coordination. And so (sighs) it took me a while to get going. And she's like, I can't believe how good at wrapping things in bubble wrap you are. It took me years to be able to do anything as complicated as this. Yeah, yeah. This is what I mean. It does not compute. (laughs) She does. Cannot compute. <laughs> Can we use this as a segue to Ryan? Let's. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. I've made a note here. I don't know if I'm going to remember all of them, but I made a note of three to four mentions of Ryan's coordination difficulties after a lot of time showing no trouble at all. Yes, indeed. And they really, I mean, they squeeze those references into this episode. They go, I don't know if I'm going to go down the chute. I have trouble coordinating. Sometimes I find it a little daunting. They land on the chute. Oh, I sometimes find it a little daunting. Don't worry, blindfoldedly jumping from one, one chute to the other at 200 kilometers an hour. No problem whatsoever. Uh, oh, I don't know if I can wrap these things whilst perfectly wrapping things. <laughs> uh, th- <laughs> there are a lot of mentions of these coordination difficulties on his part. And fair enough, they should be part of this character, but they haven't to date. Do you think this is course correction, or do you think this is simply episodes written by different writers at different times? Or possibly at the same time, in fact. And everyone's taking it in a different direction. That is a very good point. I didn't think that it hadn't been written by Chris Chibnall, but it wasn't. And so Mm -mm. a year ahead of time, Pete McTighe would have been given the character notes on Ryan. Here are the three things we know about him. Let's yeah. be honest, it's probably, he's black, his mum's he dead. He in, uh, yeah, his, his mum's dead. He grew up on an estate. Yeah, and he probably, has dyspraxia. He has dyspraxia and probably he will have worked in a place like this. Yeah, and his relationship with his not quite granddad Graham is fractious. And that entirely encapsulates Ryan in this episode. All yeah. of that gets an airing. And the first mention is to set up the later mentions when there is actual physical peril. So I don't mind that. Sorry, what do you mean? He has to say early on, yeah, I have difficulty uh, 
with the bubble wrap stuff so that when it comes to jumping into the chute, he can have difficulty jumping into the chute and it doesn't come out of absolutely nowhere. But then he jumps into the chute with no problem whatsoever. And when he, when they are on that conveyor belt system, the effect, by the way, stunning, like absolutely stunning. I love that the CGI, the animation of all the the crisscross of conveyor belts. Yeah, I would add to that. They are clearly just lying on the ground for that. Yes, completely static. But the way that the belt and the little rollers underneath the belt are whizzing and the blurring and everything, it really does look like they're going along at 200 miles an hour. It looks great. It looks fantastic. But my objection would be that 30 seconds after he says, I often fail when I try to coordinate things, he covers his eyes with his hand and jumps from one conveyor belt that's traveling at 200 kilometers an hour onto another conveyor belt that's traveling at 200 kilometers an hour in the opposite direction, 50 meters below them, and he hits it spot on, no problem whatsoever. Yes, but did you notice that he was holding Yaz's hand? Yeah, but that doesn't help. Like, why didn't he pull Yaz down to her death? What, because he (laughs) weighs twice as much as Yaz? Do you not understand physics at all? (laughs) Yeah, wait, no, I think you just proved my point, dude. No, I completely (laughs) did. When he high-fives the guy and he falls <laughs> off... The sheer force pl- of his high-five propels yeah. the guy into the void. If anything, that should have been set up as, like, I find it really difficult to coordinate. Like, every now and then, if I try to apply force behind any kind of motion, sometimes it's too much. Boom! He high-fives the guy and he falls and he dies. But he doesn't drop onto a conveyor belt. He drops into a fan and is just, like, turned into mincemeat. Yeah, he... he- Ryan and Doctor are standing around the liquidization vat and suddenly there's a new a new delivery from up above like drip 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 oh what's this then and yeah it's Charlie whoops or more realistically and I don't say this to be cruel in any way it would probably be Ryan missing the high five and his momentum takes and him falling. off the conveyor belt yeah. and bye bye now we have nearer to the correct number of companions yeah (laughs) you're so right yeah that scene is not without its charm but it goes against the plot sorry it goes against the character build-up that they have really spent time and effort and expensive lines man like (laughs) people don't have that many lines in this episode if if ryan's going to deliver any lines those lines need to freaking count for something and every single line not every single but a lot of his lines point in a different direction so maybe don't have this happen yeah and also when you talk about the value the scarcity of lines he gives his whole speech twice about dyspraxia if you put it near the beginning you don't then need to have it all repeated at the end just be yeah. like remember that thing from earlier and then maybe Yaz gives a condensed version of it while you cut to him going like g himself up and yeah, then exactly and then you're not bored when it comes to him showing the bravery that's required to propel himself to his almost certain death yeah yeah exactly there's one thing of ryan's that made me think of something marie said which was the very first time maybe not the very first time but one of the first things that we see ryan do when the the box has been delivered into the tardis uh illogically it's been delivered 
he grabs the bubble wrap and he's like, ooh, ooh, ah, oh, bubble wrap, click, click, click. And he walks off screen, just, you know, pressing bubbles. Yeah. I would equate that to him doing the shadow puppetry in, what's it called? Spider, spiders in Sheffield. Arachnids in the UK. That's the one. And Marie, I believe, mentioned that this is completely in keeping with his character. This okay. is what he does. You know what? I, I'm not sure I think this needs to be a character trait of his, but I think Marie was absolutely right. Right, yeah. It's a recurring feature that he's very young and he's still a little bit childish and whimsical and playful. Why yeah, not? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Cool. We uh, touched on the liquidization vat, as indeed Graham does. <laughs> yes. And I just wanted to <laughs> call attention to anyone got a tissue? Oh, love that. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Well done, Graham. Like Graham's hand, that is a filthy rank line to put in this episode. <laughs> so good. That brought such a smile to my face. <laughs> and it was low in the mix, but not that low. Exactly. It was it was it was there it was high enough to be perceptible. Yeah, they wanted you to hear it. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He is great. I thoroughly like this character. Yeah. Yes, exactly. All of his interactions with what's-his-face terrorist boy, great. Absolutely top-notch. Yeah, actually, I found... I think I probably found terrorist boy... Well, this has turned into an awkward sentence. Quite likable. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to report her. (laughs) Because he was opposite Graham, Bradley Walsh, quite as much as he was. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know what is, uh, I'm only realizing this now in hindsight, but something that seems a little odd to me is that we don't get more of a conclusion to the arc of their relationship. That at the end... Graham isn't the one who, you know, goes goes down to the subfloor and takes his hand and tries to convince him that we we can make this work. Don't worry about it. Like that I I I care about you because I've spent time on screen with you. We don't get to see that. No, we get the dissolution of it in a two-line exchange of um you're the one who's severely dysfunctioning, mate. You're not my mate. And that's it. Yeah. And that, but that didn't strike me as implausible at all. No, it didn't. I, certainly not at the time. But now in hindsight, I feel like maybe Graham should have felt more affronted. Almost as though, it, it, not quite to the same degree, but almost the same level of dismay that he feels every time that Ryan disses him. Oh, no way. No, I see it more as Graham has spent most of the episode using Charlie for his expertise and his access and charlie has spent most of the episode trying to dissuade everyone else including graham from furthering their investigation and fulfilling their plans like everything that they suggest he's like i don't think that's a good idea nope there's nothing that could fix twirly in the maintenance cupboard no i no i don't think we should be doing any of this so they've basically been dissembling to each other most of the time where they would Hmm. otherwise have been bonding okay yeah okay okay i know we haven't talked about yaz but you just mentioned twirly can we talk about twirly i I did like twirly i also really liked twirly but wasn't twirly capable of pretty much everything (laughs) well yeah it did make me wonder um was it steve wozniak and steve jobs 
the two Steves. Yeah. Like yeah. if you were to find the first Apple fragment of a computer that they made in that mythical shed or whatever it was, and you plugged it into an iPhone 13, could you then hack the entirety of that iPhone 13? <laughs> With this crumbling, dusty bit of wooden tech. Like, <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all. Not really, no. I do really like the idea, though, of let's find, let, let's go into a museum, pick out some old tech, make it work, and use it to save the day. Yeah. Twirly is, is an altogether charming addition to this storyline. But I think overused where it shouldn't be and underused where I was expecting it. Do elaborate. I was expecting Twirly's old-fashioned, by comparison, analog tech to make it almost impervious to the hacking abilities of Terrorist Boy. Oh. And, And I expected, for that reason, it to be able to circumvent all the little digital avenues that Docs, for example, Sonic couldn't do, and the TARDIS team's brains couldn't fathom. Ah, so he'd be taking on Charlie as a master cybernetician. But in the end, they just turned Twirly into a, a speaker slash a microphone. That's it. Yeah. And that's not bad per se, but not as good as it could have been. I really liked two things about Twirly. Uh Uh-huh. Let's hear them both. One was just the quality of the lines. Like, the future is very confusing for my protocols. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I like that. And and Graham at some point says, oh, look, you made it nervous or something like that. But the second, which hopefully came across in my impression, was that it was like a semitone or a tone higher than the new generation Kablam Man. Like it made it sound younger or nice. more innocent. Yeah, somehow. more juvenile, perhaps a little bit more naive. Yes, naive. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, that's nice. It was I, a certainly, good, nice distinction they didn't have to make, but did. Yeah, I, I think that definitely came across in the production I, uh, and in the performance. Like it's more beholden to structure and less independence. The Kablam Man has more. This is who I am, and I'm going to tell you what. And uh, twisty, twirly. Yeah. It's like, I need to go through steps one through ten, even if they don't apply. I'm really sorry, but that's what the protocol says. Like, I'm just going to do it. Yeah, but it also has just a little more independence of character than we have yet reached in interacting with Ryan and, and Yaz. Yes. yes. <laughs> and Ryan and Yaz, definitely. <laughs> but when, it, when Doc says, twirly, I don't want to hear another fucking word about all this crap. And he's like, even the upselling? <laughs> <laughs> I like that line as well. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Dude, some klaxon going off. Yeah, that's exactly the klaxon I was going to try to uh, emulate, by the way. Hot off the presses, Drew and Podcast Land. I've got two articles in front of me and a picture of Neil Patrick Harris in the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. Neil Patrick Harris has been cast as the villain, the greatest villain the Doctor has ever encountered in Doctor Who, who will appear in the 60th anniversary. Neil Patrick Harris of It's a Sin fame. Yes, that's right. Oh my goodness, that's a connection I didn't make in in my mind hole. Absolutely right. 
I feel at this point like we know way more about RTD's first episode than we do about Chibber's final episode. And we've seen a trailer for Chibber's final episode, or a yeah. teaser at least, yeah, at yeah, the yeah, end yeah. of Legend of the Sea Devils. Yeah. I don't care. The, the... <laughs> it's, just, it's just very interesting how they're going about it in such different ways. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe the openness of one is helping with the continued secrecy of the other. It may be a case of, for anyone out there in TV cast land whose interest is waning or who may be on the fence, don't worry, this show has a future, so keep watching, including Chiba's final episode, because this is heading somewhere. I wish I could remember how much build-up there was to the relaunch of Doctor Who in 2005 with Rose. Like, was RTD in 2002 and 2003 similarly just dropping breadcrumbs? I don't remember. I don't remember any of that at all. I remember, in fact, but I I was in Sweden at the time, I remember this show just sneaking up on me. Like, all of a sudden, there was just a reboot, and the TV just said, hey, episode one of Doctor Who is coming out on, you know, on Sunday or whatever. And I was just like, right, well, I don't give a shit about my life. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) And that was it. So different for me. I was like... Well, I've heard of this show of long-standing and storied history. Uh, I guess I could give it a try, since Ooh. it's on this weekend. Like I was completely <laughs> oblivious to whatever marketing, whatever breadcrumb carpet bombing RTD painstakingly organized <laughs> for my viewing pleasure up to that point. Completely missed it all. Uh, oh, interesting. And then I gave up after three episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Right. Okay. Right. So we have one companion we haven't talked about yet. Yaz. That's right. Yaz Queen. Talk about Yaz, please. How exactly? That's a real hospital pass you've <laughs> sent me there. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is not a Yaz episode. In no way is it a Yaz episode. Hang on. I'm sure I have a. Oh, I, I don't anymore. I thought I might have the uh, transcript still open. I mean, she has that scene with Dan, not Lewis, not Stevens. Cooper. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yep. And that's nice. But Lee Mack is the focus of that. She's setting him up. She's laying him up. And then at the end, she remembers his daughter. So she's the one that... That's actually worth pointing to. That's not something you tend to get with Doctor Who. Doctor Who is typically adventures over, threat is resolved, off they fuck. (laughs) To a better (laughs) adventure that we don't see. Yeah. But here, instead of us being able to be like, ah, oh, look at all these people they instantly forget and this race that no longer exists and they could go back in time and clear it up and what have you, actually, Yaz is paying attention. And she's like, let's go home, break the news to this six-year-old. She doesn't know. I'm a police officer. I have to deal with trauma all the time. I want to see the hurt on her little face when she realizes that her ugly film star dad is dead. I don't know what you've got against Lee Mack, but or his face, <laughs> but but that's an amazing reading of it. So, sorry, are you suggesting that Yaz can't wait to Cartman style lick the tears from <laughs> Lee Mack's daughter's uh, eyes? Tears so sweet. <laughs> yes, yes, she is going to Scott Tenerman this six-year-old girl. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's all part of her training she was like i i'm I'm made for bigger things i need more experiences this is one of them 
Oh my goodness. I mean, kudos for remembering his name. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that episode left somewhat of an impression. It's such a good episode. Does he turn Scott Tenneman's mum into a hamburger or something? I think stew. Like a big <laughs> pot of stew. We're getting off topic. We were talking about how nice Yaz is. I'm 100% YouTubing that after this. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yaz, Yaz is remarkably absent from this episode, I find. I yeah. barely have an opinion of Yaz here. Yeah. I mean, she prevents Ryan plummeting to his death. She is but there. But only by holding his hand. Yeah, she, she is there. She is frequently present. But she does very little. I've just opened the transcript and I've searched for Yasmin Colon and uh, the punctuation. The <laughs> <laughs> Not the organ. I'm just scrubbing through this, but most of her lines end in a question mark. In no way am I surprised. The uh, How many lines does she get? How many times 68. does Yasmin Colon? Oh, okay. 68. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's more than one a minute. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. But... I mean, that's another power drain. Uh, oh, yeah. The system's attacking us. So what do we do, Doctor? That'd be hundreds of years old, wouldn't it? Quite cute, isn't it? These are literally one after the other. I, yeah. I'm admittedly somewhere halfway through. This is a straight-up standard Yaz episode in that it's not one. <laughs> yes. Yep, unfortunately so. Yeah. It, which is a pity, but what can you do? You're right about the ending. It's nice that she shows a lot of compassion at the end because at least there was the hint of some sort of rapport between her and Lee Mac. But, eh, whatevs. Yeah. Well, we're now scraping up against the bottom of the barrel of this cast. Here, here are the three obvious setups. Right, yes, yes, I've been waiting for this. I'm very sorry that there are only three of them. Number one, obviously there's going to be a ride on a conveyor belt, because What's-A-Face, head of people, starts off by entirely unnecessarily saying, you're not allowed to be on the conveyor belt. Don't get on a conveyor belt, that will lead to trouble. Do not be on a conveyor belt, it is forbidden to be on a conveyor belt, that will lead into exciting montages. Any person found on the conveyor faces immediate termination. So, boom, we're obviously going to get a conveyor belt scene, and we do. Number two out of three, the necklace or pendant that oh, Lee Mack shows. stars. That he says it, it's coated in some sort of weird space shit. Arcadium. That, Arcadium, that will outlast even Lee Mack. Oh, yep. Yep, so I wonder what's going to happen to that one. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm giving myself a, a bit of a pot pass here, because I, I, I think I got this one right, but I... I said the necklace or pendants that will outlast Lee Mack will clearly show up in a pile of ash. That's what I thought was going to happen. Oh. I thought he was going to be evaporated, but the pendant will survive. Like it will be in the rem in in amongst the remains of Lee Mack. I was wrong, but he was killed, and the way that we found out was the pendant. So I'm giving myself a pass. Yeah. Number three, Kira's clearly getting a present at some point. Oh, <laughs> well done. The second she goes, oh, I've only ever had a present once. I've never had a present, but oh my goodness, nothing makes me happier than thinking of people getting presents. I wonder if I'm going to get a present. I'm going to get a present at some point clearly i'm gonna get present because that's how fucking amateurish this setup is and then the culmination of her arc is she gets a present yeah but it's not the one she wants uh, you know what that's to this episode's and to this episode's writings credit i did not see that coming i thought this was going to end with her surviving and receiving a gift maybe doc sends her a gift or something but either way at the end of her arc she receives a gift and she's going to be so pleased like oh my god i can't believe someone cares about me yeah 
Uh, see, I was distracted by socialist rage against the superfluous gift-giving economy, being like, this is no basis for a society. Bloody kablamazon. Can't stand the <laughs> bastards. So I didn't think about what was likely in her future. Do you think there's a Jeff Kablazos on Planet Sudoku? <laughs> 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 Just, I, mean, I mean, at this point, like people, they have their facilities on a separate moon. Like Jeff Cablazos is not overcompensating for his tiny dick by shooting himself into low orbit over and over again. He's oh, do- true. Yeah. Jeff Cablazos could be a robot. Because- Jeff Cablazos is a robot. Oh, yeah. He's like, fuck it. Nine out of ten jobs belong to my kind, you c***s. That's exactly <laughs> what he is. What a dick. <laughs> And this leads. Sorry, I'm to... almost through this bottle of wine. Now I'm. Now the c word <laughs> is out. <laughs> and this leads me on to my question: Did you see coming the twist of it was the system who sent the message? Help me. No, I did not. But in my defence, that's because all of the setups for this twist make no shitting sense. Oh, so they're not intelligent misdirects after all. No, of course. <gasps> Heavens to Betsy. Go on then, tell me why. Well, I mean, we've already talked about the, uh, hey, was this Fez ordered by Matt Smith or was it ordered by someone else? Why isn't Doc just receiving, sorry, Kerblam is writing everything on this piece of paper. Write something more sensible. You're a fucking AI. Write Dr. Kerblam here, just in case there's any misconception. I am in peril because there is a terrorist hacking the system. Come and save me. By the way, sincerely regards Kerblam, in brackets, of the organization. Yeah, not the robot or the head of people you're about to meet, probably, at the front desk. Because what's she doing as a receptionist as well? Anyway... You have you have undone the episode as I knew you eventually would. Because what the shit does the Kablam system have to fear from Charlie reading the packing slip? Why does it have to write it on the back as if it knows a which way he's gonna pull it out the box, especially later when it writes to Kira X in beautiful, beautifully angled and positioned yeah. ink message, whatever. Yeah. Um does it think that the the maintenance guy who has a full-time job is is going to have time to check every single package going out that it needs to engage in subterfuge to get this to the doctor past his prying eyes? Absolutely not. There's no need for this cryptic gibberish. No. Kablam can print literally anything on these slips of paper. Yeah. Fucking print a photo of, what's his name? Terrorist boy, Charlie? Yeah. Print a photo of Charlie with an arrow pointing at him, (laughs) and at the other end of the arrow it says terrorist. Yeah. So, there are more problems with this system, as indeed with this episode. Yeah. When the doc is having her tete-a-tete with Charlie right at the end, and he's full of zeal, and he's talking about, I'm doing it for the cause, because machines are bad and and robots are rubbish and she's like kablam system has more of a conscience than you or something like that uh-huh. because it's trying to save the lives of all these people on kandoka some effing conscience when it has just bumped off kira for absolutely no reason not quite absolutely no reason it's one reason is to make him feel the grief and loss and shock that all the families of the people who receive his exploding boxes will. Yeah. But 
is this really the only way? And if that's what you've been doing all along, why did you kill off Lee Mac? Although it wasn't supposed to be Lee Mac, it was supposed to be Yaz. Charlie's never met Yaz. If you're why? making, oh yeah, sorry. If you, and sorry, and if you're making people disappear, why not just keep them safely in this abundant network of cells that you have down in the abandoned car park level? Keep them alive. Bring them back at the end of the episode. Say, don't worry, I was benevolent all along. Nobody's really dead. Rather than just <laughs> killing people in entirely unconnected this guy to make a point to him yes mm. so okay i've got another question this is not one of my initial questions by the way but i've i've just thought of another question Ooh. do you think that he just let loose a sort of virus in the system and at this point the virus is doing its own thing or do you think he's actually in control because why is yaz quote-unquote sentenced to death he doesn't know about that he's chatting with graham he's never met yaz there are kablam dudes looking at them and determining no yaz needs to die by the way kablam dudes who are perfectly happy to also kill what's his face lee mac yeah why don't wait why don't the kablam dudes just kill all of them fuck it like the system has been faking that all the humans they've killed are still there just kill all of them (laughs) yes that's a good right? point. Yeah, that's but- a freaking great, great point. But also 90% of the workforce are digital. They are robots. So yeah. why isn't the system directly saying to them? It's not alone and vulnerable. It sees what Charlie's doing. Tell the 90,000 robots at your disposal to just surround him, kill him, whatever. It's over instantly. Episode done. Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. There are a couple of things, if we go to the very, very end, there are a couple of things that strike me as too easy, by the way. Yes. So one is that it it seems as though pretty much anyone should be able to prevent this because all you mm-hmm. need is a mic. Yep, you just yep. speak into it and you go, hey, stop. Because that's basically what Doc does with uh, Twirly. Well, maybe Twirly, Twirly is also interacting in some way as an authenticator in that's the true. programming of the dispatch bots delivery bots okay that's true that is uh hmm, that's a very fair point so twirly is like a vpn (laughs) (laughs) um okay second thing that's too easy at the end they have way too much time yes yes they do and that is exemplified by the doctor saying oh i've got this second idea no time or actually, is there loads of time for me to keep talking until I glacially put it into motion? Yeah. Why is it like... Yeah, ex- exactly. Hey, now, go and transport this somewhere else. Do you know what the hardware that's running on the software that's connected to the order of execute X now is not going to do? It's not going to fucking dilly-dally. The second you tell it, like, <laughs> go somewhere, it's going to go there. Yeah. The dilly-dallying is going to be on the part of the human recipient of the box. What should happen is, and they will need to hire an extra five to ten cast members to make this happen, so I apologise, BBC, if this is beyond your budget, but they should all go, and the doc should be racing against time, being like, I've got I've got seconds, mere seconds, and, and she patches through, and the Kablam man is delivering his little bit of shtick to here i am the kablam man come to give you oh 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 oh, sorry i've come over all funny um i'm gonna have to go back to base exactly yes exactly 
I, I've just come here to uh, 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 wish you a very nice day. And then, boom, yep. zoom back out. Don't forget to buy a kablam, but not right now. See you. Stay away from this box. This is just a show box. I'll bring you something lovely in a minute, promise. Exactly. Screw this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other thing that I, I would say is too easy is I'm going to say it again. I'm not being robophobic. But if hey, <laughs> but if the system had a face and it just killed Kira, it would need to answer a question from the doctor, from the viewer. But because it doesn't have a corporeal form, it can just commit this murder and it's hand waved away. That's such a good point. Yeah, exactly. And I think this kind of goes hand in hand with my question of before of d- did he just enable the system to do this on its own or is he actually in control because when Maisie is like i'm about to explore but she has no idea kira but yeah he's banging on the glass going stop don't do this he doesn't want it to happen Mm -hmm. so he's not okay yeah he's responsible for potentially introducing this let's let's just call it a virus for for the sake of it into the system but it's the system that's doing it and no one's holding the system to account no well i'm not (laughs) cutting that side nor should you Okay, another question for you. Okay. Do you think at the very end, when Doc says, all right, here's the order I'm giving you, do exactly what everyone's going to do. Uh-huh. Do you think the robots are all going to take out the bubble wrap and very slowly within like just less time than what's his face, terrorist boy, Charlie dude needs yeah. to get out of there, squeeze it. Or do you think they're going to do something else? Do, do I think... Hey, it's a visit from the uh, Kablam Man, and they all drop trow. Legitimately, what they should do is they should just, like, when she goes, hey, do what everyone does when they receive a gift, they should just go, ooh, is this for me? Amazing. You should just have an army of Kablam guys doing exactly that. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. But about, uh, I'm going to venture a guess, 7.2 out of 10 things ordered off Kablam are wank sleeves or vibrators. Why doesn't every Kablam guy just go take out whatever's in there? It, it might be a it might be a bottle of wine. It might be a zucchini. It doesn't matter. They're gonna do something very lewd. Yes. Insertion error. Insertion error. <laughs> Echoing around the hall. Yeah, and the reverberations of that one line repeated over and over again just implode Charlie. <laughs> yeah. So he still gets to die. Oh, that's weird as well. Um, A, that he doesn't try to escape. B, that when he's running down the stairs, he says, I'm sorry. To whom? Just everyone who he's leaving behind. Like, maybe Graham? Maybe? Maybe? Could it be to Graham? Because that might save it just a tiny little bit, but it's still jarred with me. Hmm. The whole point is that he has come across as a zealot impervious to reason. He said to the doctor, I don't care. I'm not listening to you. And yet there is this other side of him that he acknowledges, but that carries no weight. It's... I can't get my head around it. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I mean, this isn't helping me bump up my rating, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that hasn't been my goal at any point. (laughs) Okay, so I was bumping against the barrel of the cast, and you said, oh, but Lee Mack's so great. I was going to bring up Callum Mm -hmm. Dixon. Who's what? Who what? What? He's uh, Java Slade. 
Oh, the plant exec or something. Yeah, the snotty warehouse lead. I only wanted to say that he is a former child star. What? Yes. What did he play? He was in The Queen's Nose, the CBBC program, as Gregory, and he was in the 1990s version of The Tomorrow People as Ray. <gasps> what? The Tomorrow People? Oh, wait, the 1990s version. Yeah, not the 70s version, but right, okay. before you say anything, Christopher Lee was in the 1990s version. Oh, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Playing watch it. Ramesses. Uh, watch that uh, on YouTube later. I know yes. I will. I haven't seen the original, by the way. Have you seen the original? Nah. I mean, that was just an ITV Doctor Who knockoff, though, wasn't it? Well, it's Terry Nation. Well, yeah, exactly. They were just poaching him and his best leftover ideas. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, my point was, he's a former child star. I'd suggest he could be CGI'd out of this episode quite handily. <laughs> Easily. In fact, we haven't seen a single robot uh, exec make him a robot exec. Yes, absolutely. Oh, goodness, there's complexity there. Like, are you the same as the system? No, no, I'm my own being. I'm my own individual. And that could be the reason for suspecting. The 10% want to fit in with the majority, but he is a representative of the majority wanting to fit in with the minority. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to be like a go-between, like a a bridge, a mediator. Exactly. Do you know what? I think all our retro rewrites are better than this episode, yeah. I mean, they always are. But I think <laughs> they've proven that for the the extra five minutes, they mean nothing. Like, th- this episode, it's 50 minutes instead of 45, but it seems to lack ambition. It has some digs at Amazon, but it doesn't go anywhere interesting. I think potentially uh, a mistake that that we both make frequently i I know that i made this mistake me and you yeah yeah but i i mean i i certainly know that i i make this mistake is that i'll I'll watch an episode which is a on an episode rather than a serial and i'll judge it based on the potential of a serial which is effectively a double episode yeah and you could you could do a lot more with what's been set up in kablam mm-hmm. you could talk about the society on sudoku you could actually bring in a, a more of a socio-political message here you could talk about some effectively you could substantiate the the cause of terrorist boy yes yes because i did make notes in this direction they do for having just one shouty scene at the end they do cover about as much ground as you can have with a two minute one-on-one confrontation yeah they touch on some of the economic reasons for jihad for instance <laughs> oh interesting very yeah, likely yeah. because it's not that's very a religious force yeah but you know what we're missing we're missing a view of people on sudoku who are starving because they can't get a job because their jobs have been taken by robots we want to see people benefiting from the efficiency of robots and then we want to see below the surface no one considers them yada 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 make it very nebulous but no one considers them however there are lots of people living below the surface or below the clouds or whatever it is who are in utter despair because of this odd labor rule in fact make them both humans and robots there there are there are robots who feel that they shouldn't 
have to be mandated to make up 90% of the workforce. And there are humans who wish that they shouldn't be restricted to 10%. You know, if this were a serial, you could, or, or a double episode, you could spend a lot more time delving into this also political circumstance. Yeah. You don't. Instead, it is all justified by the ramblings of a person who, by definition, is meant to be an extremist and consequently not the, the deliverer of a nuanced opinion yeah and so what do we get of this reality very little yeah because if you want to understand the mind of an extremist you can't just have the finished version of the extremist give their current perspective on truth you have to have some of the conditions that formed the extremist some of the influences that he has taken and he has as heightened and twisted yeah that's why it's disappointing that's why it's tantalizing because part of me really likes that final scene between jody and charlie for what it could be and part of me is like oh but you're so far short yeah i i wonder if that's because of and it could be frankly either a lack of ambition or an abundance of it (laughs) yeah And just a lack of real estate, effectively, like a lack of airtime. Yep. Well, that rounds off uh, the cast because Charlie was played by Leo Flanagan and he can currently be seen in Gentleman Jack. Marvellous. (laughs) Not seen it. Okay, so shall we rate this? Yeah, we might as well. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Mm, I think I'm going to be surprisingly generous. Oh, Oh, interesting. My rating is as follows, if I may. Please. This is a very meta episode, because watching it felt an awful lot like work. Worse than work, even, because of the difference between work and drudgery, where (laughs) drudgery inspires no joy from making things better. Things like my life or my mood. I badly want to like this episode, but it doesn't make me happy to have watched it. I don't feel thrilled or fulfilled. There are good aspects to it. The Gravelli voice, Kablam Men, voiced by Daniel Gravel. Of Broadchurch fame. Really? Oh, for goodness sake, Chippers, anyway. <laughs> the showdown between the Doctor and a futuristic Luddite was about as meaty and wordy as a single shouting scene could have been, as I said. Unfortunately, it is very similar to just last week's episode when she took on a similar radicalized individual slash dickhead who wouldn't listen. But it's also a roller coaster between goodish bits and pure eye-rolling selected notes of mine run as follows one kira and charlie's flirtation in the home zone is just unbearable two charlie lighting up with his love for kira opposite graham is quite enjoyable (laughs) (laughs) then graham walks into an office he's never seen right at the perfect moment to help the doc and judy and everyone there with the plans for the building's layout tightly closed so that's a nice coincidence that he just happened to pick the right corridor And the tone is grim. It ends very sadly. Okay, it's nice that Yaz remembers the little girl, but it's just depressing. And I didn't like any of the characters this week, regular or side. I wasn't a fan of the Doctor overall. I'm sure Daniel McGinley will have picked up on the moralizing lecture about people's skills. The head of people was soporific. Slade was a cartoon misdirect. Kira was singularity dim. Lee Mack got two good lines amidst a cynical, pointless sympathy pitch. The mood was somber right from the start. 
But worst transgression of all, as oh. Michael will surely say, is where is peon liquidizing robot Jeff Bezos CEO? I want peon liquidizing robot Jeff Bezos CEO. With nice. No, with no grand disruptor prioritizing profit over people, it's left to a misguided little guy to make things better, ultimately quite by accident. How can the Kablam system ever trust people again? It's not going to accept five times more than before. Better to just kill them all and fake the paperwork, as you yourself have said, Leon. Still, the doc asking, not paid your bills when the power cut was a nice anti-tax dig at our current giant corporations rating <laughs> of 1.9 you are not more generous than i am <laughs> am i not I was, i'm so relieved that we don't have the same rating again by the way <laughs> that is a fantastic mini oh bravo bravo i think you may have convinced me otherwise can i change my rating a little bit you can do whatever you like. It's your podcast. Uh, it's not my po- It's our podcast. We established this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've lowered it by two point. Uh, but sorry, by 0. 0.2. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. Bravo. All right. Okay. 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 Here we go. Doc. Yeah. Okay. Here's one thing that I didn't mention before. There was one actual line delivery of hers that I loved and a line of hers, in fact, that I loved that I made a note of and I I didn't find it in my bullet points before. And it was this one. It was her going, ladies. Oh, not doing that again. I'll, I'm sticking with my. I like that. Okay. Yep. Whatever. I liked it. Each to their own. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, Companions, see above. You know, rewind and you'll know what I think of them. Companions of the week, on the other hand, well, Maisie, I'm sticking with it, Maisie (laughs) was incongruently dumb and I don't get the world that she's meant to hail from. I'm going to go ahead and give Terrorist Boy the benefit of the doubts and say that he was portraying an authentic emotional and intellectual response during that shit flirtation scene with Maisie because the alternative is that he is feigning mental deficiency in the hopes of having her wrap his bubble. Anyway, he's a bit pants. <laughs> Uh, Lee Mack, as discussed, was a waste. Uh, we didn't talk about this, though, but why the shit was he effectively sacrificing himself to save Yaz? Oh, everyone who goes to 999 is fired. I don't want you to be fired on your first day. Sort of. <laughs> of course not. He has a kid. He probably has to pay an alimony. This is redonk. No. His uh, kid doesn't laugh at his jokes. Screw her education. <laughs> Uh, on a satirical note, though, I love the deleted scene of Lee Mack whizzing in a plastic bottle during an 18-hour shift. Production value <laughs> is absolutely terrific. The branding, the robot outfits, yada yada, except for when it is a massive poo sandwich, like the lasers that are used to destroy unidentified organic matter oh, or whatever. Yeah. What? yeah, go to hell episode. Why, when they arrive in the car park at the end of the line, don't they find it crawling with rats and, you know, I'm sorry, homeless people? Like, every, anything can get through those lasers. It's nonsense. Greatest asset of this episode? Uh, give me a minute. I'll think of something. Biggest flaw? Teleport pulse is pretty far-fetched. And at the very top of my list, I should say, why did we not talk about this? Mm-hmm. Everything is a coincidence. Yes. Like, there there are too many of them. That's what I was alluding to when Graham just walked into the right office. Yes, exactly. It's kind of encapsulated by the fact that we know that there are 10,000 humans, but we only meet five of them. Yep. The other example that I've ma- mentioned in my notes here is the second they need a moment to chat, there is a mandatory break. All right. Oh, yes. Great. Yes. 
I'm sorry, that's really dumb. But it's the kind of dumb that makes me feel like this could have been less dumb in a longer episode or in a serial or in a whatever, in a double episode. You know what I mean. Main takeaway, great world building, but zero payoff. Uh, Robots of Death. It is not. (laughs) Original rating, 2.5. Wow. I then revised it to 2.3. Then I listened to your mini (laughs) and I revised it yet again to 2.1. Okay, that's acceptable. Yeah, there you go. 2.1. I will buy that. (laughs) Are we the only people with opinions about this one? Surely not. I think we could find some others way out there in podcast land. Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Okay, welcome to the listener mini review section of our podcast. Podcast land, well represented. There are eight Mr. Minis tonight. <laughs> yes, indeed. Episode. Okay, let's get to it. The first one is from Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hi, Andy. Andy says, hi, gang. Kablam delivers. Sorry. <laughs> a great package of a Doctor Who episode. In a blatant swipe at Amazon-style working practices, it gives us an epic mystery to solve. In a series of misdirects that Agatha Christie herself would be proud of, we have bounced around trying to guess who the actual villain is. Featuring some cracking performances from all the supporting cast, as well as the regulars, the story rattles along nicely. Andy has a list of likes. The Kablam robots look epic. Robots haven't looked this good since Fourth Doctor story, Robots of Death. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) The scene with the Doctor sticking up for Kira and telling off Slade. Charlie and Kira's relationship. The awkwardness with each other is something I can relate to. And Doc uses some Venusian Aikido on Slade. Oh, yes. And there are also some briefs. <laughs> Doc is very quick to believe Slade when he says he didn't do it. How come Yaz, Ryan, and Charlie can hear Kira, but she can't hear them yelling not to open the gift? <gasps> That's a good point. <laughs> and then the Doctor straight up murders Charlie, whether he deserved it or not. Why not get the Kablam men to deliver to a deserted planet, then blow themselves up rather than risking all the people in the Kablam Center? That's yeah, a super how, good point. How do we know that roof isn't explosion proof? <laughs> Or is explosion proof? Goodness, we don't know a thing about it. Altogether, despite a couple of plot problems, Andy concludes it's a fun episode with some lovely witty dialogue. There's no weak links in any of the cast, and it's a great Doctor Who type story. That's true. Andy awards this 4.0 vats of dissolved humans out of 5. Oh, dagnabbit, Andy. You freaking nailed it. Andy, I disagree with so much of that review. All the specifics, basically. (laughs) I think that's an incredibly good mini, and I'm already starting to doubt my rating. That's that's solid stuff. (laughs) Uh, When he says cracking performances from all the supporting cast as well oh, as the disagree. Regulars. That is the mirror image of what I wrote. Yeah, disagree, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but there are nice things, and the Venusian Aikido was yes. one of them. Yeah, that's lovely. And his look on his face. That man is paralyzed. Yes. Oh, Andy, that's a fantastic mini. Uh, people who are not Andy, um, are, are, are they able to follow Andy anywhere? They are. He can be found on Twitter at Caffrey's 71. That's 71. The birth year. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> Unless it's his age. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> He's next. Well, it's none other than Sam Donmull. Hello, Sam. Hi, Sam. Welcome back. Woo, woo, woo. 
Sam says, hi team, it was great to see Pete McTeague, 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 have a go at writing this episode, and he did pretty well. This was the first time that I'd watched the episode again since it aired, and I was quite surprised at how much I liked it. The details dropped in were very clever, such as the foreshadowing at the start of the episode when Ryan goes to pop the bubble wrap. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> as well as the use of the gift to lure Kira into the bunker room. Why they have a bunker, I don't know. I thought the companions <laughs> had their moments. However, there were some bits that seemed unnatural. Graham had a dark moment this episode when his first reaction to seeing liquidized people was not a shock, but asks for a tissue. <laughs> yeah, better that than a condom. I appreciate the callback to <laughs> Sorry. I appreciate the callback to Ryan's disorder, but his explanation to Charlie before the jump into the shoot was a little too long for my liking. Mm-hmm. But also had her awesome moments showing her empathy to Charlie at the end of the episode, featuring Matt Smith's compassion and some of Capaldi's tough love, which I adored, all caps. Finally, says Sam, I loved Charlie, mm. and his relationship with Graham and Kira was entertaining, but mm. I hated the reveal at the end of the episode, as it didn't make complete sense. Because of this, Sam rates this episode a 2.1. That is a fantastic rating, Sam. Yeah, how do you feel about your rating now? (laughs) Affirmed, validated. Yes, here's my friend who agrees with me. Well done, Sam. Thank you very much. Yeah, in your face, everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) People who are not Sam, please do say hello to Sam on Insta at what, Drew? Sam Dunmore. All in one word for your convenience. Yeah. That's right. Who's next? Why, next up, it's J.P. Haynes. (gasps) Oh, so J, you said P. J. Haynes. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Didn't think I could fuck that up. GP begins. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Well, this was a fun episode. Jodie's first season continues to impress with another great production and fantastic supporting cast with a solid all-round effort from the entire regular cast. Here's our friend who agrees once again with Andrew. (laughs) GP's not going to apologize. This was impressive. The CGI sets, costumes, and robots were great. The robots in particular were downright creepy. In a way, not dissimilar to that excellent fourth Doctor adventure, the robots of death. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) One of very few serials or episodes GP would rate as a five. Lee Mack was great as Dan. And both Julie Hesmond Hogg and Claudia Jesse, slash Maisie, slash Kira, were excellent cast choices. (laughs) The conveyor belt scene in particular was fantastic, and the use of CGI for the robots at the end was almost seamless. True. Jodie has really hit her stride now, and this story in particular, I feel she really nails like the Doctor. Her enthusiasm for the Kablam Man at the start, and later to work at the factory, shines through in a wonderful performance. Hmm. All in all, a great story, thoroughly entertaining, my favourite episode of Whitaker's so far... Oh. And GP's rating is 4.6 bubble-wrapped packages especially delivered. (laughs) GP! That's an amazing (laughs) rating scale. Well done. Uh, You have a huge heart. (laughs) Yeah, Kablam Warehouse-sized. 
Yeah, yikes, caramba. Okay, uh, I mean, there's lots that I agree with and, and a few bits that I just kind of disagree with, but that's fine. That's awesome. Uh, GP, amazing mini. Thank you very much. Yep, and you really should make friends with Andy if you haven't already. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> Why, it's Daniel. Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley. <laughs> Hello, Daniel. (laughs) Daniel starts, Hi, gang. Quote, Max 250 or it will get out of hand. (gasps) Big congratulations to anyone finding that many words to say about this slice of banality. (laughs) Here we go. Some thoughts, says Daniel. Enjoyed Graham saying to Doc, You're just making sounds now. (laughs) Yeah, nice. The writers remembered that Ryan has problems with coordination. Well, he says he does, but nothing he does shows this. At least it was referenced, though. Yep, true. (laughs) Was it my TV, or is it the home zone totally oversaturated with color? Yes, yes, it was, and I liked it. Oh, interesting. Oh, when they're out in the park in the little green area. The super green area. Right, yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah, well done. Well spotted, both of you. Next thought enjoyed the reference to wasps and agatha christie doubly good as it took me away from this chuff to thinking about a story i have a great fondness for (laughs) amazing kablam has the greatest use of bubble wrap in sci-fi since the tension sheet in red dwarf it's a niche category to be fair Mm -hmm. interesting what about talk in space dude okay yeah fine I still need to re- watch Red Wolf, I'm sorry. Penultimate thought. Moralizing lecture count is four. Season total, 16. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, this is amazing. Eight in two weeks. <laughs> and amazing. Uh, right. And a final thought from Daniel here. To sum up in the form of a rating, this was awesomely clever, satirical, and well-observed. I give this episode of Black Mirror 4.2 out of 5. Oh, wait, it's Doctor Who. So in that case, 1.8 out of 5. (laughs) That's interesting. Is that a burn on Black Mirror or just saying this is a good episode but not quite my Doctor Who cup of tea? Yeah, it seems like, yeah, exactly. This is possibly the antithesis of my point of this is a solid episode of Doctor Who, just not a solid episode of TV. Hmm. Very interesting. Daniel adds a PS as well. Who back when? Can I carry over my unused word count over for a more interesting story? Uh, Daniel, uh, try it. We'll see what happens. Yeah. If you have 90 words spare, slag off a previous or future episode with those 90 words. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Daniel also reminded me that Mm -hmm. Dan, played by Lee Mack, is number two in my count of side characters outlining their unseen familial relations mere moments before snuffing it. Oh, nice. Yes, you're right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. After the security guard and the woman who fell to earth. And may I suggest, if it's to be given a name as a trope, perhaps it should be called Family Tie Dies? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Oh, episode over. Thanks, everyone. Go home. Good night. (laughs) Solid point, dude. Oh, and a fantastic mini, Daniel. Thank you very much. Wow. (laughs) Who's next? It's Just For Who. They've written a review, Just For You. Oh, hello, Just For Who. 
Just for who begins, Kablamu! <laughs> what I did there. Yeah, I, I do. We're at episode seven, and what have we learned, friends? To recap, one, the writers remembered that Ryan has dyspraxia and decided to remind us of that several times. Yep. <laughs> Number two, and this part is in all caps, the goddamn Fez made a comeback! Is this the same Fez that the 11th Doctor talked about buying in the Big Bang? <gasps> oh. Oh. Mm. Interesting. Whipple wobble. Yeah. Mm. Wobble bubble. Number three. Yaz was fine. She got to do a bit of police work, I suppose. And you know Graham spoke to people like he normally does, Cockle. <laughs> but just for who had some issues with this episode number one the fan pop the bubble wrap at the beginning of the episode and don't die and yet they're hesitant to pop it at the episode's conclusion number oh. two characters written in just to be killed this seems to be a common thing with chibs as writer or a showrunner i guess mm. i get that you can't help who you like but gd it charlie don't shit where you eat <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying to awkwardly flirt with your co-worker. The robots are watching. <laughs> Number three. The big reveal felt anticlimactic. Because of the cast size. I mean, the Doctor and Charlie are having a conversation and you can see Ryan at the back with his hands in his pockets just doing fuck all. <laughs> 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 other than that just for who says it was an okay episode <laughs> great best bit oh you too that's robophobic worst right. bit having all of the fam there maybe drop ryan and graham back in sheffield for this one doc mm. for this one hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just for who would rate this a 2.8 out of 5 oh that is a fantastic mini thank you very much just for who lots of good points Mm-mm-mm. who's next why, it's Tracy, Tracy from, from America. America. Hello, Tracy. Sup, Tracy. Tracy says, ah, yes, it's Kablam! Following in the tradition of being afraid of blinking and breathing, now we can also be afraid of bubble wrap. Name drops. Roger Wilco. Agatha Christie. The story, that's true, actually. The story action is balanced well, is it? With good pacing. <laughs> and music to match the rising tension. Which yes. One? Oh, I missed that. I cared about the guests of the week. And it's always nice when Team TARDIS splits up and gets right to the business of sorting out the mystery. Agreed. The Doctor, Tracy continues, is smart and resourceful, a commanding presence. Yeah, agreed. However, the premise is muddled. Our population scrambling for limited jobs must have a high number of people struggling in poverty rather than being indicative of an overabundance of technology which generally improves quality of life. This actually relates to corporate greed and the wealth gap. If jobs start to dwindle because of labor-saving technology, you can shorten hours without changing salaries and give everyone more leisure. Or you can be a greedy corporate jerk. The, quote, 50% human workers solution is a patch on the tire. Someone is still sitting on all the resources here. That's who Charlie should have been trying to take down. Yes, agreed. With his make kablam look bad scheme. That's who their society will still have to deal with after the doctor and fam have gone. Yeah. Uh, tell Charlie and the writer of this episode, uh, Tracy, you're a million percent right. Yeah. Where is peon liquidizing robot Jeff Bezos CEO? Exactly. Yes. Here's your friend who agrees with you. And Tracy concludes with a rating of a donut. 
covered in tiny sugar circuit boards. Mm, I don't think I want to eat that. Mm. I'm starting to think of uh, everywhere, everything everywhere all at once or whatever it's called. Great film. Less memorable title. Uh, Tracy, fantastic. Mini, as yep. always. Good sociological insights. Absolutely, yes. Oh, yet another eye-opener in a different way. People who are not Tracy can absolutely and should absolutely follow Tracy on Twitter. Tracy can be found at... <gasps> yeah, That's Fountain Tracy backwards almost. That was perfectly in sync in my ears. Well, let's hope. <laughs> Thanks, Tracy. Who's next? My next up is Hey, Maxwell Rayner. <laughs> Hello, Maxwell. Maxwell begins with an apology for not being here the past two reviews. We really dropkicked the first one like we did with the pating, and the second one was N150, but not worthy of my review. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Scheduling of episodes has been a little bit all over the place. Apologies. Holidays and whatnot. Following the technical preliminaries, Maxwell starts. The doctor receives a mysterious message on the back of a packing slip. The first thing she does is go undercover as a worker instead of talking to the people in charge. Yeah. If she had done that first, then the episode would be over quicker. Maxwell did like the twists of who was the main villain of this story and truly felt bad when Kira died. Dan, I don't care for him. <laughs> wow. Harsh, but just harsh. Fair bubble, enough. yeah. Bubble wraps a Doctor Who first. It could have been worse. <laughs> Closing time. <laughs> I liked when the Doctor said, "Talking of wasps, did I ever tell you about me and Agatha Christie?" When the Doctor mm-hmm. uses the sonic, she stretches her arms so far it's like she's trying to reach the top shelf at her favorite store. I think this every time that she uses the sonic. Oh, yes, really? absolutely. Yeah, she she has a move. You can't see this podcast land, but she always does the up and then warm to the sides <laughs> <laughs> the delivery bot v1 was so cute and i loved it when graham said you've made it nervous one thing that annoyed me was why is the delivery place on the moon couldn't it be put on the planet then you wouldn't need the teleporter oh good point also the power drain happens often enough to be a normal thing if there is something I've learned from Doctor Who, is that power drain equals bad things. Also want to point out that they said you are assigned your job role by physical fitness. So why was the Doctor put on janitor first? Is it because of her age? Because that still makes zero sense. Well, I've got an answer for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but actually, if it's about physical fitness, it, she has regenerated since then. Yeah, and it's, about physical, fitness plus a, it's about physical fitness plus a whole bunch of other things. Okay, yeah, that is true. It's like intellectual aptitude and yada yada yada. Yeah, LinkedIn and profile in cupboards. I mean, the TARDIS yeah. is practically a cupboard, That's and true. all of this happens because the Eleventh Doctor couldn't keep it in his pants about fezzes. <laughs> Maxwell gives this episode a three point five out of five late packages from six seasons ago. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Very nice. <laughs> Excellent mini. Holy smokes. People of Podcast Land, please follow Maxwell online. Maxwell can be found at where, Drew? The True Misty. All in one word for your convenience. Thank you very much, Maxwell. Who's next? Last. (laughs) (laughs) Seamless. Why it's Michael Ridgway. 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 (laughs) Love you, Michael. Hello, Michael! Michael starts with a list of likes. 
six, two of them to be precise. Namely, first off, Killer Bubble Wrap. Sadly, a missed opportunity for an Auton villain. Yes, oh my goodness. Second like, a nice bait and switch twist. It was the damn human all along. Me and my robophobia. Although, <laughs> to be fair, robophobia is somewhat justified in the history of this show. Yes, that's right. Robots of death. Michael then <laughs> continues with a list of Beefs. first. <laughs> An intriguing mystery, creepy robots, an Amazon satire. How can this not be awesome? I guess by being super duper dull. <laughs> the first two thirds are about as interesting as I imagine working in an Amazon warehouse. And listening to Ryan's life is so <sighs> interesting. Second, Boof. great outcome. More humans will have remedial jobs. Yay! And um, terrorism wins? <laughs> Last, the Doctor is a total apologist for the Kablam robots when they murder Kira. Next thing, she'll be siding with some, quote, misunderstood giant man-eating mutant spiders. Get the Brigadier into Kablam with a flamethrower and torch the lot, just to be on the safe side. And Michael gives this a rating of, wow, 1.7 out of 5 human suckers vaporized by bubble wrap. <laughs> Amazing mini. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michael. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, good stuff. Got a great range and super duper big. Oh, it's so big. People who are not Michael, please do go and find Michael on Twitter. Tell him exactly how big he is at bad underscore movie underscore club. That's right. No more underscore. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. We did it. We canvassed the whole of podcast land. Yikes, caramba. So we did. Where can we be found in the meantime? (laughs) In the meantime? Serious question. Yeah, in the meantime. You mean like where can people find you and me online? That's who I encompassed by the pronoun we. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, people can find me on Twitter at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. And they can find me on Twitter equally at DrewMacWen. Excellent branding. Oh, thank but you is so this much. the last of Doctor Who? No, and nor is it the last of Who Back When. <gasps> thank goodness for that. Well, pretty soon we're going to have a classic Who serial review again. Oh my goodness, it's going to be another Colin Baker mm, review, namely of Attack of the Cybermen, which I cannot wait for. I have no idea what it's about. I'm assuming cybers are involved. I'm assuming they're attacking. I cannot <laughs> wait. I have really missed the cybers. This is going to be great. Ah, oh, mean and saucy Colin Baker against Cybermen. That's going to be a bloodbath. Oh, I really hope so. What's the next New Who episode? The next New Who episode will be The Witchfinders. At some point, we're going to do an audio Who review as well, right? Yes, The Gathering. Mm, to finally conclude our trilogy of sorts. And at some point, we're doing a bonus. In fact, very soon, we're doing a bonus. It's, oh my goodness, it's the 14th of June as we record this episode. And thus, in just about three weeks, two weeks, somewhere in between, on the 4th of July, it is time for our ninth anniversary as a podcast. We will be nine years old, and consequently, we will be dropping our traditional anniversary bloopers but after that we're gonna have a really really special bonus who time Uh, after that it will be time for our 400th episode i believe you've trademarked this what will it be called the family reunion (laughs) that's right (laughs) trademark true back man can't wait for that so lots to look forward to Mm. until then thank you so much for being a lovely audience that you have been and Fulsome set of contributors. 
catch your earballs on the flip balls and uh, <laughs> bye bye. Be rad and nice to each other, podcast land. Rock on and cha ciao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hooray! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?